Good morning. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Super Bowl Sunday. Tonight, a game of great importance will be played. Eleven large men will face off on each side of a line of scrimmage. A call will be made, leather will slap, bodies will collide, a battle will begin. For four 15-minute quarters, men will expend enormous energy and Herculean efforts to move a piece of inflated pigskin up and down a grass field. In the end, one team will emerge victorious. Now much is riding on this game. Millions of people will be watching on television around the world. Fortunes will be made and lost. Advertising dollars will be spent wisely and poorly. Estimates of sports betting dollars will exceed $5 billion. And Americans will be glued to their TV screens wanting the answer to one question, who will win? I can tell you this morning who's going to win. The team that will win will be the team that has exhibited and does exhibit the following five traits. Number one is determination. Which team puts forth the most effort? Which team gives 100% when they don't have 100% to give anymore? Second is discipline. Who has trained themselves best? and prepared themselves best for this game. Third is desire. Who wants that Super Bowl ring the most? Fourth is direction. Who has the best game plan as they come to this game? Who has the best strategy to accomplish victory? And fifth is dedication. Which team will abide by the rules and be dedicated to stick to their plan? Who will make the least penalties and the least turnovers in the game? You see, those five traits will determine the winner. Now, in football, many people play the game, but there are only a few that rise to the status of a Super Bowl champion. You know where most of the NFL players will be tonight? They'll be at home watching the game on TV like you. Let me tell you something. There is another game being played today, and you are part of that game. But unlike the Super Bowl, your game is continuous. It's played every day. And it has eternal consequences. Yet like the NFL, only a few Christians will rise to the level of Super Bowl champion. So let me ask you a question this morning. What does it take to be a Super Bowl Christian? What separates a champion from an also-ran How do you run to win? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, 
Paul gives us five traits of a winner, and they happen to be the five traits that I just shared with you that will be exhibited by the winner of the Super Bowl tonight. And so this morning, I want to go over those traits with you. They're not in your bulletin because I didn't come up with this outline until the bulletin was printed. So you'll have to use pen and effort to write this down. Number one, determination in verse 24. Notice what he says. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Ever watch the Boston Marathon? You see the beginning of the Boston Marathon, and you have this mass of humanity at the starting line. And then when you see the finish line of the Boston Marathon, what do you find? One single solitary runner is finishing first in the race. Huge number of people who are running, but only one receives the prize. And Paul says, don't you know that in a race, everybody runs, but only one wins? And they knew that. There were two major athletic events at that time. One was the Olympic Games. The other was games called the Isthmian Games that were named after the the Isthmus in Corinth. So right here at Corinth, every three years, they had worldwide in their, their world games that took place right by Corinth. So as Paul is talking to them here, it's obvious to me that Paul had watched these games, which I like to believe that Paul was a sports fan, which makes me feel better about being a sports fan. He had watched the games, and he had noticed the determination with which the runners ran those races. He noticed that they ran to win, and so notice what he says at the end of verse 24. Run in such a way that you may win. He had seen the determination of these world-class runners, and he uses that analogy to apply to our Christian life, and he says, I want you to run to win. You know, running is popular today. And people run for a variety of reasons. In fact, it's even stylish to wear running attire. You go to Walmart, you wear your running attire, and somebody says, you've been running? No. I just like the way it looks. I just think I look good this way. And there are marathons today, and people join into marathons, and they run in a marathon. But there's really only a few people at the starting line that are really running to win. There are a lot of people that run marathons just to see if they can finish. And there are others who, who, who join the marathon just to say they entered What do you get, a little white ribbon and a T-shirt? That's what they're after. I have a friend I met, I I talked to not long ago, and uh, a friend from long ago, and she told me that she had run in the Nashville Marathon. And I said, really? I I said, I I bet that took a lot of training. She said, no, I I walked most of it. (laughs) Well, that's not the type of race that Paul has in mind here. He has in mind an Olympic-caliber race. And those who run in it run to win. 
So let me ask you a question. Are you in the Christian life to win? Or are you just running? Are you just showing up? You know, some of us need the exhortation to get going. Paul says in this verse, all runners run. Some of us don't even get that. You know, in order to win, you first have to run. In order to win, you have to begin. In order to win, you have to get in the race. Kind of like the Nike slogan, just do it. Some of us are still in the starting blocks, and the gun went off a long time ago. See, I can't expect God to say, well done, if I haven't done anything. I get the impression that a lot of Christians are satisfied to stand on the sideline. A lot of Christians enjoy the bleachers a lot more than we enjoy the track. We like to sit and eat our ballpark hot dogs and our popcorn rather than get out on the track and run. You know, the difference between a pro athlete and the average person is determination. Vince Lombardi said, the difference between a successful person and others is not a lack of strength. It's not a lack of knowledge, but rather it's a lack of will. Paul had determination. He was the Bart Star the Vince Lombardi, the Johnny Unitas of early Christianity. His will was settled. He knew why he was in the race. He was running to win. And he calls us to that same determination. In 490 B.C., the Persians invaded Greece. And in a battle at the city of Marathon, the Greeks launched a surprise attack against the Persians who had them outnumbered. But since they caught the Persians unorganized and ill-prepared, they drove the Persians back into their ships. And the Greek general Miltades went, uh, wanted to get word to Athens that the Persian troops were now at sea so that he could warn that city to be prepared from that direction. And so he sent his best runner Pheidippides to take word to Athens. He ran the whole distance, about 26 miles, and when he arrived, he was able to say only one word, and then he died. And what was the word that Pheidippides was able to say before he died? It was the Greek word, Nike, which means victory. Victory comes as a result of determination. Now, let me clarify that. We need determination as Christians, but we also need to realize where our strength comes from because there's an interesting paradox when you're dealing with spiritual victory. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in 
me. It's an interesting paradox. When I want power as a Christian, I have to come to realize my own weaknesses and let God work through my weaknesses. So when we talk about determination, we need to be careful that we're expressing it scripturally. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. That's determination. But then he says, through Christ who strengthens me. In Romans 8.37, he says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. That's determination. Through him who loved us. So it's determination in the strength of God, not in my own capacity. That's the first trait. Second trait of those who win the race is discipline. Notice verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Now, I could enter a marathon today, and no matter how badly I wanted to win, I wouldn't. In fact, the truth is, I wouldn't even finish because I have not exercised self-control in training for the race. Any serious athlete must have discipline. He must have self-control. He controls what he eats. He controls uh, his sleep. He, He lifts weights. He runs distance. He runs sprints. He runs the stairs. He trains and gets ready for that. People who participate in the Olympics train for at least four years. When the Olympics is over, they start training immediately four years in advance for the following Olympic Games. And it requires self-control. It requires discipline. They have to pay a price. A world-class athlete has to give up some rights. For instance, an athlete has the right to eat a chocolate sundae right before a race. But if he really wants to win, he won't do that. And Paul is saying, if you want to win, you've got to be self-controlled in what? In all things, every area of your life. Now, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember the context of this passage. Because this This passage occurs in the context of Paul's answer to a question that the Corinthians had asked to him. And this passage takes place in the context of that answer, which covers three chapters, chapters 8, 9, and 10. The question was, what about meat offered to idols? What about this gray area? What should we do? And in chapter 8, Paul gives the principle. He says it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols, but you need to be careful that exercising your right doesn't stumble your weaker brother. And then in chapter 9, he gives an example. Paul says, here's an area where I have a right. I have the right to receive financial support from you, but I have laid down that right for the sake of the gospel. And now here in chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, He gives an illustration. There's probably no better illustration than an athlete because he says no to his body in areas where the rest of society is saying yes to their body. And why is he saying no to his body? Because he wants to win. See, Tom Brady could eat an entire chocolate turtle cheesecake 
minutes before the game tonight. But I guarantee you he's not going to do that. It wouldn't be wrong for him to do that. It would just be stupid for him to do that. If he really wants to win, he's going to discipline his body and do everything to prepare himself and train himself and get ready for that game. And the Christian who is running to win exercises discipline. He will train, he will sacrifice, and he will do it continually. See, it's, it's not a whole lot of fun. I'll be honest with you. It's not a whole lot of fun to pray. It's not fun. It's not entertaining. It's not exciting usually. It takes discipline to pray day after day after day when I don't feel like it. It takes discipline to read God's Word. Some days I love to read God's Word. Other days, it's a challenge to open God's Word and to make myself stay in the Word. It takes discipline to do that. That's the training he's talking about in the spiritual area. I have to have that self-control. I have to have that discipline to say, I'm going to do it on the days when I love to do it, and I'm going to do it on the days when it's really hard to do it because I know that I'm preparing for something very important. In training as a Christian, there is no off-season. And I love the way Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. He says, I press toward the goal. He's running and he's leaning toward the tape. And, and he's running, he's not, he's not getting to the finish line and slowing down. He's running right through the finish line. In fact, the word competes in verse 25 here is the Greek word that has the root agonize and it's where we get our English word agony he's talking about something that that's going to cause you some pain it's going to hurt a little bit if you train as an athlete your muscles are going to get sore and you're going to have to push your muscles even when they hurt beyond what you think they can do and that's what he's saying spiritually we have to agonize it's going to be painful we're going to suffer we're going to sacrifice in that process but it's worth it writer of Hebrews uses this same analogy of running in Hebrews 12.1. He says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. To be a serious runner, I have to put off extra weight. I have to put off extra pounds. I have to put off extra baggage. I have to put off extra clothes. That's the nature of a serious runner. Is there extra baggage that you're carrying as a Christian that you need to lay aside? You know, some of us are saying, I'm running to win in the Christian life, and you're like 50 pounds overweight. You've got on a trench coat and army boots, and you're saying, I'm serious about the race. And Paul's saying, hey, You need to discipline yourself. You need to lay some things aside that are slowing you down in the race. This uh, TV show, The Amazing Race, I haven't really watched it. Well, that's a lie. (laughs) At least I'm honest. I haven't watched the whole show 
before, but I've seen enough of it to figure out what's going on. So they have these teams, these pairs that go around the world, and I guess whatever, they get a a million dollars if they finish the amazing race. And what I noticed about the show is they have these like backpacks, and they have everything they need in the backpack for three weeks or however long it takes to do the race. And what I noticed was when they get down to maybe two or three teams left, they take that backpack and they throw it away. And they say, we're going to finish the race without that extra weight. And that's kind of the mentality here. If you really want to win, if you're really serious about winning, you don't go for comfort. You put things aside that, that may make you uncomfortable in order to win. And as the writer of Hebrews says, is there a sin in your life that easily and continually seems to entangle you and that you need to deal with in a radical way? When the Spanish explorer Cortez hit the shores of the New World, in what is now eastern Mexico with his 600 men and 20 horses. He burned the ships so there was no turning back. I love that. Some of us need to burn some ships in our lives. Maybe it's a, a, a ship of, re, of a relationship that continues to drag us down. Whatever it is in your life, maybe it's a, a, a ship of entertainment that continually pulls you down into sin. We need to get radical about that and and not just lay aside the weights and our rights, but really deal with that sin and burn some ships so that there's no turning back. Third trait of a winner is desire. The end of verse 25. Notice what he says. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. All that training and self-discipline by the athlete was directed toward obtaining a perishable wreath. In the Isthmian Games, they didn't get a gold medal like they do in the Olympics today. In the Isthmian Games, they put a wreath on their head. It was made out of parsley. Uh, That's pretty perishable. You know, you, you, you win the race, they put a parsley wreath on your head. How long does a parsley, parsley wreath last? For me, it would be one meal. His point is, they, expend, they extend all this, they, what's the word, they expend? All this energy, all this training, all this effort, and what do they get in the end? They get something. Tonight, they're going to get a Super Bowl ring, And it's perishable. It passes away. I've received awards when I was younger for athletics. You know what? I don't know where they are. I think they're in a box down in the storage room, but I couldn't guarantee that they're there. It's kind of the same with education. A degree is a great thing. I've received degrees. When I was a single man before I was married, I took my degrees. You know where I hung them? I hung them over the toilet in my bathroom (laughs) to kind of keep it in perspective that, okay, 
You know, I accomplished that, but how valuable is that? That's what he's saying here. We expend all this this energy. I'll look that up later. And what do we get in the end? We get something that passes away. And so he says, in contrast, if you watch a world-class athlete invest all that in a perishable prize, how much more should you be doing since God has promised you an imperishable prize. Now, he's not talking about salvation here. Salvation is what? Salvation is a gift. He's talking about a reward here. He's talking about running in such a way that one day the Lord says to me, well done, you good and faithful servant. In 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Physical exercise is a good thing, but it only profits a little. If you will apply yourself to spiritual exercise, you have great profit, not only today, but in eternity. You see, we have the incentive of an eternal reward. In his book, Seven Habits of of Highly Successful People, Stephen Covey says that highly successful people begin with the end in mind. I like that. They begin with the end in mind. What is the end that you have in mind as you're running the race. What is your greatest desire in life? Is it temporal or is it eternal? Is it physical or is it spiritual? Is it perishable or is it imperishable? Winners have a desire, and spiritual winners' desire is to please the Lord. I was... uh, watching the 2006 Winter Olympics in Torino, Italy. And uh, one of the more memorable moments was the gold medal race of a brand new event called Snowboard Cross. It's uh, like a, a motocross track covered with snow and obstacles and the racers are on snowboards. And in the gold medal race, American Lindsay Jacobolis started out with three other racers and by the midpoint of the race, Jacobolus was all alone, far in front, having escaped a crash that took out two of the four racers and delayed the third. She came up on the finish line, and she reached the second to the last jump. She was so far in front, you couldn't see the second-place racer. So she decided to do something she'll regret for a long time. She decided to do a little showboating, and so she grabbed her board in midair and did a little squiggle. Snowboarders will know what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, this little act of showboating caused her to lose her balance, and she crashed on her landing. And while she was recuperating and getting back up to her feet, Switzerland's Tanya Frieden raced past her to claim the gold medal. 
And Jacobus later gave this simple explanation for her behavior. She says, I was caught up in the moment. What would you say to her? You can't get caught up in the moment when there's a gold medal on the line. What would you say to yourself? Because what do we do? We get caught up in the moment, and there's an imperishable, eternal reward on the line. That's our biggest fault. We want to showboat in the present. We want a little glory for today, and we lose sight of what God has promised for us. Our desire should be that eternal reward. Fourth is direction in verses 26 and 27. A winner knows where he's going. A winner has a game plan. He has a carefully laid out strategy. Notice what he says in verse 26. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. Can you imagine lining up for a marathon or a cross-country race and you have no idea where the course is? I mean, I'm standing at the starting line, and I tap this guy on the shoulder and said, now, are we going to go around this way or that way? Paul says, when I run the race, I know exactly where the course is. I know exactly where the goal is. I've got a game plan. And then notice he switches analogies in verse 26. He says, I box in such a way as not beating the air. He switches to boxing. And he says, when I box, I don't waste any punches. I don't just go through the motions. When I throw a punch, it lands. I'm not in the ring to put on a show. I'm not shadow boxing out there. I'm not just looking good. And so he says, when I run, I'm not aimless. When I box, I've got a target. And what's the target? Who's the opponent? Look at verse 27. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. His opponent is his own body. Paul says, I discipline. That's a word that literally means I bruise. I, I give my body a black eye. I punch it black and blue. Now, he's not talking literally. He's talking figuratively. He says, I bring it into submission. I make it my slave. A world-class athlete has a subdued body. His body is under control. A boxer doesn't come out on boxing day and, you know, 20 pounds overweight. He doesn't come to the fight shriveled up and anemic. He controls his body. And unfortunately, most people are controlled by their bodies. Their bodies tell them what to do. Feed me more. Sit me down over there. Don't overdo me. I'm not running one more step. We're stopping right here. Put me to sleep. Paul says, I make my body my slave. 
My body's not telling me what to do. I'm telling my body what to do. Let me tell you something very important. Winners compete with themselves. My primary opponent is me. And until I bring myself into submission, I will never bring the opponent into submission. I love what Tom Landry used to say. He said, a football coach's job is to get men to do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always dreamed of achieving. You've got to get your body to do what it doesn't want to do if you're going to achieve what you dream of achieving. You won't dominate the opposition until you first dominate yourself. You will not get your opponent to say uncle until you get your body to say uncle. Fifth trait of a winner is dedication. Notice the end of verse 27. Why do I give my body a black eye and make it my slave? So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And that word disqualified is the same word used in 2 Timothy 2.15 where it says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. So it's not the idea of you're going you're gonna to get thrown out of the Christian arena. It's that you're going to be ashamed. You're going to be disapproved of in the race. Instead of God saying, well done, he's going to say something far less than that. And the idea here is of the racer who gets disqualified. Kind of like if we were going to if I said to you, let's race, we'll do one lap around the track, and we took off, and you got ahead of me, and so I cut across the middle. Got on the track in front of you, came around and finished. There'd be a problem there because I didn't run by the rules. Several years ago, there was a lady in the Boston Marathon who won the Boston Marathon, and then they found out that she had just jumped onto the track. You know, she was in the grandstand and jumped on and finished and got the prize. I said, that doesn't work. You're disqualified. I think it was earlier this year they caught the New England Patriots had been filming the coaches of the other team as they gave their signals, and, and they, they uh, fined them and took away a draft pick or something, and now the news is out that they videotaped the Rams' practice in the Super Bowl when they beat the Rams. When was that, 2002? And there are some who are saying they're going to have to give up their rings if this is proven to be true. Um, you can tell who I'm rooting for tonight, can't you? <laughs> New England is, is, uh, uh, is, is the uh, team that everybody's picking tonight, but if, if New England lines up in the game, and they decide they're going to send Randy Moss out early so he can get into his pass route and beat the opposition. If they do that all night, they're going to lose the game because they're going to be disqualified for not doing it according to the rules. How do I get disqualified as a Christian? How do I get disapproved 
Next week, we're going to look at that because when he gets into chapter 10, he's going to tell us exactly which rules we can break, which will cause us to be disapproved. And I think the illustration that he gives here is an interesting one because it's really right out of the Isthmian games because they had a herald who would announce the context contest, and he would describe the event, he would give the names of the participants, and he would lay out the rules. And Paul says, I'm the herald in the Christian race. I'm the apostle. I'm telling you what the race is. I'm telling you what the rules are. I'm telling you how to run the race. If that herald then got in the race and was disqualified, it would be kind of a shocker. This guy gave us the rules, and now he didn't even run by the rules. Ben Johnson won a gold medal by beating Carl Lewis in the Olympics in Seoul. It was taken away from him because they found steroids in his system. Pete Rose is the best singles hitter who ever lived. He's not in the Hall of Fame. It's not because he has no character. There's lots of guys in the Hall of Fame that have no character. Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, read about those guys. He's not in the Hall of Fame because he broke the rules. He didn't play according to the rules. Is it possible for a Christian to know what's right and tell others what's right and fail to do it? I was married for 20 years. I have never had an affair. You know why? Because I know I can. I know it's possible. I don't play games with that. It's possible. Do I know it's wrong? How many verses do you want me to give you to tell you it's wrong? But see, my body doesn't care how many verses I know. Can you cheat on your tax return? Do you know it's wrong? Would you tell your kids it's wrong? The greatest dishonor of all would be to call others to the standard and fail to live up to it myself. How do you run to win? Determination. You have to set out and say, my goal is not just to lollygag along in the race. My goal is to win. Discipline. You train yourself. You make the sacrifices. You go through the suffering to get where you need to be. Desire. You want that imperishable reward. You want the Lord to say one day, well done. Direction. Do you know God's game plan for you, and are you following it? And then dedication. Are you committed to staying within the boundaries? Are you committed to saying, there are no shortcuts in the Christian race. I'm going to be dedicated to do it God's way. I'm going to have the praise team come back. We're going to sing that praise song in closing, I Will. And as we do that, I'm going to ask you to Be open before the Lord today. Be honest before the Lord today. Because he's calling you to run to win. 
And this is the response he wants to hear from you, and that is, I will. I will surrender my